0: You can turn in Philippians chapter 4 today. We're going to wrap up the book of Philippians. My plan is to go to the Gospel of Luke next week. And it really could be any of the Gospels. And the most important thing that any church needs is to be clear on who Jesus is. That's it. And in fact, every book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are 66 of them. Did you know that every book of the Bible is about Jesus? You've always heard people say, well, I've tried to read that book and I don't know what it was about. I I tried to read that book. Well, if you don't know it's about Jesus, you don't know what it's about. Even if it's just historical information about the nation of Israel and the Old Testament or different people, you're still thinking, well, why do I need to know this? You need to know it because in some way, it is telling you something about the life and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is either present. Do you know that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament? He's not called Jesus. Often, he is called the angel of the Lord. And he actually appears to people, and they worship him. He's not an angel. It's just a title. He's either present, he's predicted, or he is pictured in some way in the Old Testament. In the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, the son, the father offers his son on Mount Moriah, which was the same Golgotha that Jesus died on. When Isaac said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And you remember what Abraham said? God will provide himself a sacrifice. That's literally how it said. Your newer translations kind of soften the wording to say, well, God will provide the sacrifice. No, Abraham literally said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. It's a dual meaning. That God both provides the sacrifice and God is the sacrifice. In the book of Acts, Paul said that God shed his own blood for the church. You make those connections in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Who was he talking about? Jesus. And John clarifies that in John chapter 3, that it was the Lord who appeared. To Isaiah and Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. When Jesus said no man has seen God at any time and yet God appeared in the Old Testament. They were talking about the son. No man has seen the father at any time. And it just love in every book of the Bible is like, where's Waldo? We're looking for Jesus. Jesus. It is just that plain and simple. It's not that you need to know all the sacrifices and the history and all that stuff. It is something that is preparing the way for Jesus. Because it's Jesus who is now, right now, working in your life. And if you are willing, he is willing. We're not begging God to work in our lives. He is saying, here I am. Even as I'm driving down this morning, I thought of that story of Jesus walking through the crowds and there's people all around him, and that yet there was that one woman who reached out and touched the hem of his garment who had the issue of blood. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? The disciples are like, there's people all around you. What do you mean? And we're, we're almost amazed at that one woman Had the nerve to reach out and touch Jesus and believe for healing. Well, the more I know about that story, frankly, I'm amazed that more people didn't reach out and touch Jesus. What's wrong with the rest of those people that they are passively watching the healer go by and they're not touching him? And honestly, sometimes I think church is like that. We're here. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what is, what's the rest of it? What's the rest? Come on, Pentecostal people. There am I in the midst. So if he promised to be here, did he mean that or not? And if he meant it and you have a need, this is your opportunity. We are not gathered here because it's Sunday morning. We're gathered because we together have set aside this time to come before the Lord. Because we're pretty pathetic people. Me included. And I'm just kind of reminding you, he is doing his part. Your part is to say, Lord, I'm open, because we can all be here and be closed off, right? And we're me included. We can be closed off for different reasons. We're tired. We're not aware that of our part. Maybe we're hurt. We're in the middle of a trial that's worn us out. We're offended. You're not aware of your need. You're trying to put on that you're okay when you're really not. We are all people who are daily needing just the Lord to touch our lives. So the sooner you're okay with being needy and just be honest about it, then. You can just let the Lord do his work in your lives. Paul has made some pretty amazing promises in Philippians. Just a couple of them. Philippians 1, 6. He who has begun a good work in you will will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. A reminder of his faithfulness in your life. The Lord started a work in your life he will be faithful also to complete it. And sometimes you go through long stretches where it doesn't look like he's still working. But I promise you, he still is. Philippians 2.13, that God is working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That means It is His good pleasure to bless you and to work out something, and he is working in you to be able to do the good thing he wants to do. I raised three daughters. They're all 36, 30, I don't know now, 34, 36, and 38, almost 39. Um, And look, I didn't want to hold them back at all. When they're 12, 13, 14, I'm going, look, I would like you to be able to drive when you're 16. It's up to you to be ready to handle that responsibility. I'm not trying to hold you back. And now I have eight grandkids. And I can think of ways that I would like to bless each of them. But it's annoying when people won't let you bless them. My oldest grandchild is... Uh, Asher, he's 12, and he is an authority on everything. If there's anything that he wants to learn that I know how to do, I'll say, you know, I can help you because I know how to do it. (laughs) Oh, that's great. You just let me know when you need help. I think, am I that way with God? No, don't look at me like that. I am so humble and so teachable. God wants to do good things, and oftentimes I think we have to beg God to bless us. You don't have to beg God to bless you. He is good. He is good, and he's looking for ways to bless you in ways that are good for you and in ways that will not take you away from him. So I would tell my daughters, if I'm going to give you the car keys and you go off and get in trouble and this breaks our relationship, I get the keys back. God is strengthening your relationship with him, not giving you something that will get you in trouble. In chapter 4 of Philippians, three more amazing promises that are important for you to hear and learn today. Are you ready? The first one is in verses 1 through 9, the promise of the peace of God. The peace of God in the middle of worry and anxiety. The second one, in verses 10 through 13, is the promise of the power of God. And the third one, verses 14 through 20, is the promise of the supply of God or the grace of God. Supply and grace are interchangeable words in the New Testament. The question is, how does this happen? It happens merely by being connected to Jesus Christ. It's not by you being good. It's not by you whipping up enough faith. It's simply by you, a weak person, being connected to Jesus. That's John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So if the Lord prunes your life, it's so he can do more in your life. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me. There's the key phrase abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, cannot, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I want my life to be fruitful. I want to be confident in life. I want to be courageous to go and do things for God, to step forward, whether in ministry or business, in relationships. I don't want to be fearful and isolating at home. And yet without the Lord, that's exactly how I become fearful. Oh, what'll happen? I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to that person. And yet something happens when I spend time with the Lord where I sent, I I just Have a a calm and a confidence that I didn't have before. The word abide is not a word we use today. A better word that you might understand is the word connect. I cannot do anything in my life without being connected to the internet. I need to know where coffee is, where's my hotel, um, where is that route. It's like, can you do anything without being connected? Are you looking at your phones right now, texting your friends? This message is so long, I wish he would wrap it up. I'm just getting started. If I have to drive anywhere, if I have to find my hotel, I need to talk to a person, I'm going to check in. I. It is just a way of life to be connected. In fact... I don't even know how to do half of my life without being connected or more. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. You're not producing anything. You, it is him that's producing in you just by you hanging out with him. Get connected and stay connected. I hate it when the Wi-Fi drops in my house. It's like everything stops. My wife and I don't talk to each other unless the Wi-Fi drops. Then we go, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? I just lost connection. The Wi-Fi comes back up and then we go back to our games or texting our friends or whatever. We do love each other. We've been married, I think, 39 years, somewhere in that vicinity. The promise of the peace of God. Let's read verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my beloved, and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. I implore you, Odia, and I implore Seneca, be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness or self-control be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verses six and seven, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I'll stop there. Worry and debate and argument has crept into the church. Unusual, right? This happens to all churches at different times. Issues come up which we like to pretend that we have the moral high ground and we're going to debate and argue with somebody else who needs to get their act together. If anything controversial comes up in a church, what tends to happen is people take sides. Because we feel loyal to this person or this person. It always happens, and I just want to say, knock it off. How's that for being pastoral? Knock it off. It is not productive. And so Paul is literally talking about a couple of women in the church who are arguing with each other. These are two women who have actually worked with Paul in the ministry. So they are not spiritually immature. And yet, really, honestly, we're all susceptible to this, me included. We get caught up in things. We think we're on the right side. But this will always harm a church. It will always harm a church. And it is urgent that we maintain the unity of the church. The Lord is more important than these issues, whatever issues. There's always things to disagree about in church. But if those things become more important than our common fellowship in the Lord, something's wrong with us. It is honestly a test of our spiritual life to put the Lord before those things. We can debate things and we can work them out. But they should not break the fellowship within the church. And Paul is writing in this letter to someone that's unnamed to help these women. Please help them. The Greek word that's translated anxious, he says, be anxious for nothing. It means to be pulled in different directions. And that's what it feels like when we're worried and anxious about something. We're we're so pulled in different directions that we have no peace. The old English root means to strangle. It's just choking the life out of us. But it's literally what he's saying is your thinking is wrong. And he says, I want you to be of the same mind. I can't always change my feelings. Have you ever tried to change your feelings? Don't feel, husbands, don't ever tell your wives, don't feel that way. It's just not going to work. The truth is none of us can change our feelings but we can change our thinking. I can choose not to indulge a certain train of thought. I can choose not to believe a rumor. I can choose not to pass a rumor along. I can choose to put my mind on things that are good. And here is the promise, is that if I will choose to think on what is good and I will take these things to the lord it will bring my feelings in check amen so none of us is a victim of our feelings none of us is a victim of our feelings i couldn't control it i abs- agreed But when those feelings came, did you pray? Did you put your mind? Tell me three good things about that person that's irritating you. The answer to worry is a secure mind. And the peace of God shall guard. It guards literally like a a soldier, like a guard is standing watch over to protect your heart. In Christ Jesus, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. He uses all three of those words to describe our attitude in the worry and what we're to do in prayer. Prayer is just generally making your request known to God as if he didn't know, but he knows, but you need to talk to him about it. Supplication is the sharing, just telling God your needs and problems. Now, again, he knows. But he needs you to be in line with his will so he can work out your needs in the right way. Supplica- or, uh, Thanksgiving is just being thankful in the middle of your panic. You're saying, God, I need help with this. Also be thankful in it. And that part of being thankful immediately takes you out of the fear and the worry. How can you be doubtful if you're thankful? God, I have no idea how you're going to do this, but I am thankful that you have a solution. He can do above and beyond what we even ask or think, Ephesians says. I have learned that God is working in ways that I am not aware of at all. And it was actually in the worst seasons of my life that I discovered the faithfulness of God to work things out for my good that I didn't even know of. And you have to go through those dark seasons to discover that truth. Romans 8.28 I'll probably quote it just about every other week to you because it's a, an important verse to me. God is able to work all, make all things and work them for good for those who, two conditions, love him and who are the called according to his purpose. So God will take all of these circumstances around your life and he'll work them for something good in your life. Your part is to love him, have an open heart, and to want his purpose to get worked out. If it's just for your agenda, he's not obligated to do to do that, just letting you know. Thanksgiving. Matthew 7, verses 12, 7 through 12. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For whoever For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Does that sound pretty clear? Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, do you hear that? How much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? Do you think that you're more generous than God? Then your ego is a little inflated. You want to give your children good things until they start to ask too many of too many things and start to annoy you. But that's another discussion. And God is looking for ways to bless you. Verses 8 and 9, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think Deeply on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. When you came into relationship with God, you had peace with God. You're no longer working against God's plans and purposes. So you have peace with God. You're now part of the family. But then as you grow in the Lord, you then have the peace of God. And you can lose the peace of God. But you can get it right back by putting your mind on the right things. Amen. The second promise is the promise of the power of God that's verses 10 through 13 paul writes but i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished though you sure, certain you surely did care but you lacked opportunity not that i speak in regard to need for i have learned in whatever state i am in to be content i know how to be abased i know how to how to abound Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here's the line, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that doesn't mean you can go out and do anything and you think God's going to strengthen you to do it. It means that whatever he asks you to do, he will strengthen you to do. Whatever thing he tasks you to do in life, he will also enable you to do it. And again, Paul is saying, the way I discovered this was by being in such severe need that I discovered the sufficiency of God's power. I I thought, I can't do this. How many of you have said to God, I can't do this? Have you ever said those words to God? I have said it. I don't even know how many times I have faced a problem and I have said, God, I can't do that. I don't do that one. And it is by going through it, I discovered that it didn't wipe me out. And in fact, I had the the supply of the power of God to do the very thing I said I can't do oh, I'm trusting the Lord until it gets really bad. Now, there is a part in our Christian thinking that as long as I am abiding in the Lord and trusting the Lord, and then I'm going to be exempt from hard times. The, the Lord wants to bless me, and he is going to bless me, but then the hard things come. And actually, the reason Paul was in such severe need isn't because he was out of God's will, but because he was in God's will. And the Lord had told him at the beginning of his conversion, Acts 9, that he was going to suffer many things for the name of the Lord. He knew it. And he discovered that when he was in those times, and remember, Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. And while the Philippians might be panicked that Paul needs to get out of there, and what can we do to get Paul out of there? He's going, look, I know something you don't know. I know that if this is where the Lord has me, then I can do this. It's not forever. It's not his whole life. It's moments, and I have been through those times where I thought, I can't do this. But I look back and I realize I needed to go through those times so that I could discover the power of God. And then when I discovered it, then I could in turn tell you about it. Because how can I tell you about something that I haven't really discovered myself? Over and over, I have seen the power of God to supply, to meet me, to give me the strength to do whatever I had to face. And let me tell you, the ministry is hard. It's hard. It's not a couple hours work on Sunday morning, and I downloaded a message off the internet. It's not golf the rest of the week. And in fact, I talk to pastors weekly who are dealing with the discouragement and the stress and the fatigue of ministry. And they're surprised. They're thinking, what's wrong with me? And my favorite word when I coach pastors is, this is normal. It's like having children and they keep you up at night and you're thinking, why is this so hard? Well, this is normal, isn't it? To have children that wake you up in the middle of the night. The ministry is like that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The third promise is the, sup- the promise of the supply of God. Verses 14 through 20. Paul says, nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. So even though Paul is okay, it was good for them to minister to him, right? Because they sent finances to him to help him in the ministry. They needed to give. They prayed. They collected funds. They sent it to Rome by Epaphroditus, one of the elders in the church. It was good for them to minister to Paul. And of course, Paul needed the funds, but even if they didn't, you know, give, Paul is saying, the Lord will take care of me. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus now to our god and father be glory forever and ever amen now the philippians we might say is a suffering church remember they're a roman colony rome philippi is part of macedonia not not previously part of the roman the Roman territories, but it became a Roman colony. Rome sends Italians there to occupy it and gave them special privileges. The Philippians in their own territory were treated as second-class citizens. And they were poor and they were suffering and they were the first church in Europe. So this is all new to them. They're learning how to trust the Lord, and Europe, Greece, the bigger picture, needs Philippi to be that place that stands out as a city on a hill, the place that demonstrates the light and the truth and the power of God. Just as Albany needs your church, our church, this church, to be a place that is showing maybe struggle, but people who know the power and the supply of God. When I think of people coming here and filling this space, so many churches and, you know, trade secrets I know full well that churches have all kinds of gimmicks to attract people. I get emails weekly on marketing plans and social media campaigns. We're not marketing Albany for Jesus. We're not selling something that will, become, you know come here and get the latest cool message. I believe we can do everything perfectly right. The best sound, the best media, graphics, the best worship team. But the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor what? In vain. We can have the best programs, but if the Lord is not doing the work, both to draw people and to impact their lives, then we have nothing to offer Albany. We have nothing. Our goal isn't to fill a place. Our goal is to impact lives. And all around you, you interact with people who are in need. They're fearful. They're empty. They're looking for Answers to their life. And you might be the one who has a word to share with them. Hey, can I pray with you? Hey, here's my church. A small way that just, I just remembered something in my wallet. Some small thing that you will do that will make a bigger impact that you're not even aware of. Now, I was 35 when I came to Portland and became the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Portland, and I'm all of uh, 43 now. No, I'm 63. And I was a young pastor, had a church of about, literally about 30 people. And I'm thinking, how how can we reach more people? And I, I wrote this little tract to give, to make and give out to our church. It was called, Five Things God Wants You to Know. And there's inside five things. Number one, sin has separated you from God. Number two, God has provided a way for you to be reconciled to him. And so this was something I did. I was probably 38, 39 years old. We used it for a short time, and it got put away. That was around 1997, 98, 99 Now, I just resigned from my church at the end of 2016 and started doing the work that I do now. I do more uh, consulting and coaching for pastors. And four years ago, 2017, I went out to Baker City, Oregon to to do what we call a church assessment, to just look at the whole, all the systems of the church and to meet with the pastor and Help, with, help him strengthen his ministry. And we were having breakfast the first time I'd even met him. Small town of Baker City. And he took some stuff out of his wallet. He set this exact tract on the table. I said, where did you get that? He goes, oh, our church uses this. We print these by the hundreds and give them out. And in fact, churches all over Oregon and Idaho use this tract. I, I'm freaking out. I'm literally freaking out. I haven't seen this since the late '90s. I said to him, "I wrote that." He goes, "You did." He goes, "All the churches around here use this." I I had no idea. And so I sell these for twelve ninety five now. And it, it just, it was like the Lord saying, you, you have no idea, and I think of some word that any of you might share with somebody. A, you know, can I pray for you? A word of encouragement. The impact is bigger than you know. The impact is bigger than you know. The, Thess, the, the Philippians, like us, are learning of in their their struggle of the sufficiency of the grace of God. Grace is that general word we use in the Bible to speak of God's unmerited favor, right? We all know that definition, God's unmerited favor. Grace is a general word to speak of God's supply to you, whether it's supplying spiritual strength or finances or an opportunity Everything that how God wants to bless and give to you, you didn't earn it. In fact, he just wants to do it. So you don't have to beg him to bless you. He wants to. And we get so panicked when we think God is not going to come through. God is not going to supply. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 8 through 10 that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for, for food Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I love that. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having, uh, always having all sufficiency in all things. He's making his point. In Psalm 37, David said, I have been young and I have been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. When you're young, you don't know this. It's just something David said. It's a verse out of the Bible. When you get older, you calm the heck down, and you know that this is true. You may not, all younger people, I don't know what young is these days, under 35, under 40, you're still learning these things, but it's true. Even if you haven't gotten a hold of it, it's still true. So whatever the need is, you will see the Lord supply. And as they give through God's supply... See, it's hard to give when you think you don't have enough. But Paul is saying, God is, God is going to be faithful to you. God is going to supply. And again, the city of Philippi needs to see a group of people. The city of Albany needs to see a group of people who know the power of God. Not the program of the church. We're not marketing a program We're not building a brand. We are announcing the sufficiency of the power, the peace, and the grace of God. And that's what we are excited about. Amen. I'm going to have the worship team come up. The final couple of verses of Philippians 4, Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Who is a saint? That's all of us. If you have believed in Jesus and you're born again and now in the family of God, all a saint means is those who have been set apart from the world to now be part of the family of God. You may not feel like a saint, but that's why Paul calls them saints, is to remind them of who they are. And today I'm reminding you, if you don't feel like it, you still are part of the family. Learn to trust the Lord. Let your life shine to the city of Albany all around you. Or wherever, if you drive off to Salem or another town around here. And I'm praying that this place is a place where people are getting strengthened, healed. That we are learning to just depend on the Lord and receive from the Lord and just be people who have discovered these things that Paul is talking about. Amen?